We'll make a quick turnaround and grab Jim Henneman in just a moment to talk a little bit about the celebration of life of Frank Robinson tonight. It'll be it'll be great. Uh, and again, we saw different ceremonies and tributes across Major League Baseball shortly after his passing. Uh, and but just what he meant to this city. I mean, in terms of, you always heard Brooks and Jim Palmer and everybody talk about, you know, we were a good team. We, you know, Frank put us over the top. Uh, but, you know, I, I don't think anybody covered more bases in his time with Major League Baseball as a player, a manager, front office uh, person, uh, a guy working for the commissioner yep. uh, in, in New York, and maybe even almost becoming commissioner himself than Frank Robinson did. All right. Joining us right now is a, a man who knew Frank for a very long time. Uh, actually got to know Frank a lot better in his non-playing days um, and when he became an executive with the Baltimore Orioles. Let's uh, grab my friend Jim Henneman. Jim, how are you? Doing good, guys. Uh, Jim, uh, your thoughts on uh, the ball club, first of all, putting on this event tonight to celebrate the life of Frank Robinson? I, I, really, I think that's really pretty cool. Um, you know, I, I, I kind of expected that something would happen somewhere along the line. and uh, But the idea of, I mean, technically having a, a memorial service at the ballpark, I think, was really, was really a great idea. Uh, uh, kind of gives everybody a chance to participate, and uh, uh, I'm looking forward to it. Well, I'm, I'm, listen, I'm hopeful that the Yankee fans will be there in abundance and that some Oriole fans who might not otherwise have gone tonight will want to pay their respects by being there to help celebrate the life of Frank Robinson tonight at the ballpark. Um, yep. It's going to take place on the field. It's, it is going to be on Masson. They're covering the, the entire event. I think it starts at 6.15, right, Jim? That's, that's what, what my understanding is, yes. And In your reference to the Yankee fans, I would expect that there would be a much more Yankee fan presence uh, yep. tonight and tomorrow. Uh, actually, the game Thursday, I we were talking about that. I said it might have been the least uh, the least Yankee crowd that the in the history of right. the yard. Yeah, right. But I think the fact that there was an off day in between and the weekend is now. I think we'll see a big a market difference in that. And the weather's supposed uh, to be about seventy degrees both days. Yeah. Right. Yeah. All right. Well, we're so that's the good news and the bad news all wrapped up in yeah, one. Yeah, and and you know what, uh, you know, it's nice. I just want a nice crowd. It doesn't have to be all Orioles centric. I know the Yankee fans will pay their respects and be respectful uh, to this event tonight. But Frank was. It brings up the topic. He wasn't just Baltimore. He was Major League Baseball, wasn't he, Jim? Yes. Yeah. I I agree with that. And I I really you know uh, of course this might be might be. Uh, putting people on the spot, but I'm going to be really curious to see how the the, the players of both teams re, uh, react to this, uh, to this ceremony, especially the Baltimore. I mean, mm-hmm. a lot of these kids on the, uh, on the Baltimore team, I mean, in all honesty, uh, you know, hardly really know who Frank is uh, unless they're really good students of the, of the history of the game. Well, I would expect uh, not that they'd be ordered to attend it or be in the dugout right. respectfully. I think Brandon Hyde who will, uh, I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure will be standing at attention and listening to the the, the words that are spoken tonight. As I, under, as I understand it, Jim, uh, Brooks, Boog, and Jim Palmer are all going to speak tonight, correct? Yeah, that, yeah. I'm, I mean, I'm not aware of all the, all the speakers, and 
but I have heard those three names, and uh, uh, I'm sure it'll be an impressive list. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm glad it's them and not me. I know that. Yeah. <laughs> not, not that I would be involved. Don't get me wrong, but I, I, I think that even after. Even after all these years, I think it'd be tough for all, for all those guys. Uh, do you know at all whether or not the club reached out to Barbara and Nichelle? Yeah, I think they're going to be there. They are going to be there. Okay. I, the only reason I know that is because I know that uh, I know there's going to be representation from MLB uh, at the part tonight. I know, and I do know that uh, just by virtue of email that I received uh, from from one of the people that I'm involved with uh, as a scorer. Uh, that Barbara and Michelle are both going to be there. Yeah, and, uh, uh, as is uh, and Jeff Idelson also is uh, from that's the, great. the Hall of Fame will also be there. That's great. That's great. We're talking with Jim Henneman about the life and uh, times of uh, Frank Robinson and the Orioles celebrating his life. Jim, I know for you and me it's a little bit of a repeat, but the viewers that are watching us on Facebook Live and listening at, on our website, they they didn't hear you last night on Mass and some of them. Frank Robinson was, as I said earlier, much larger than the Baltimore Orioles. And, in fact, in Major League Baseball history, there are very few people that have the resume and impact that he's had on the game. In reality, I mean, we, we kind of like look at Frank as, as, like, as like an Orioles icon. But in reality, he really spent only roughly, I mean, less than a third of his career here and, and barely a third of his playing career here. So... Uh, you know, there's a lot more to it. The one thing that that I think that people for that we, but we have overlooked generally on this thing is that this guy managed in Puerto Rico for five years. Yeah, I mean, while he was playing, I mean, that's an incredible. You know, I mean, I, I, the more I think about that, uh, you know, the, the more it, it makes you wonder who who in the world would go through that. Yep. I mean, I, now I understand he was really driven to become a manager. There isn't any question in my mind. That, that that becoming the first African American manager in, in baseball was a, a priority for him. Almost not maybe from get, from day one, but maybe from day two or three, and uh, and the fact that he went to to that extent uh, to do it. And the other thing was he also after he had a big league job, after he had two big league jobs, he ended up going back to the minor leagues and managing the minor leagues before he before he getting before returning to the Billies as a manager again. That that those those things tend to be overlooked. Yeah. They're pretty remarkable. Yeah, they they truly are. There's no question about it. And I agree with you. Both of them kind of equally remarkable with the resume that he had and sort of the, the the money that he was used to making as a player back and I know it's all relative, but for him to have gone back to Rochester uh, to manage uh, in the Orioles system was was quite remarkable. No question yes. about it. One other thing, I, you know, <laughs> it's funny. We saw Brooks and Eddie at Camden Yards on opening day. Right. And uh, somebody made mention of the fact that, you know, whatever that line was that, you know, talked about Brooks, you know, Reggie Jackson in New York. And they say, you know, people named candy bars after Reggie. Right. People in Baltimore named their kids yeah, after it was Gordon Beard's famous right, line. Right, Gordon Beard's famous line. Uh, but but with Frank as a kid, and I and I thought about it, I was so fortunate to cover this guy with two teams as a manager, the Orioles mm-hmm. and then, <clears throat> pardon me, the Nationals. But growing up as a kid in Baltimore, 
He was my favorite Oriole. Mm. He was the guy that you went on the on the sand lot with and, and imitated. Im- imitated the batting stance. Yeah. And and I used to catch crap about that because of the fact that Brooks was here, you know. And and I used to get a lot of flack from friends because of that. Mm-hmm. And, and and at a time where you could understand where the flack was coming from. Sure. But Frank meant that much to me as a player, and the fact that he played for the Orioles made it even much better, and, and the success during that run that he was here. Jim, it's hard to believe it's been over three years now, but 1965 was the trade was made, and we did in 2015 on the 50th anniversary. You wrote that great cover story that John Panisi did that a great artwork, The Art of the Deal. Uh, what do you remember about that and – and what the Reds were trying to accomplish and why they would have traded a player of that of that ilk. What I remember most about it is that is that I had I had been given an inkling that something was gonna happen about I'm gonna say about four or five days before that trade was made. It was it was a weekend. I remember it was leaving fail was getting ready to leave. There was some kind of a there was a farewell party uh, that was being held and uh and Walter Yalsu at the time was, a, was an Oriole scout, uh, said, had told me that they were on the verge of making a blockbuster deal that was going to, you know, that was really going to shake, was going to really shake things up. And that, that's as far as that I could ever get with it. I never really could find anything more bright until it, until it happened. And then, and then in retrospect, you you know, the, 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 the Reds who were, who felt like they were pretty well fortified offensively. Yep. Needed a pitcher, and uh, and and it wasn't like they were left devoid. But you know, they they did have a good team. The, you know, the worst thing. Listen, the way things go today, the, the way people talk, uh, value the starting pitching slowly today, day, a trade of this of that proportion to a, a guy, a thirty-year-old mm-hmm. uh, quote unquote old thirty-year-old outfielder for a uh, a younger pitcher, starting pitcher. It, it might not even cause a blink of an eye right now because, I mean, that, that's how screwed up, I, in my mind, that's how screwed up this game is right now. We, we're so over, we so overvalue the starting pitching right now and pay guys incredible amounts of money to pitch five and six innings. It, it blows me away. But that's another story. For another <laughs> story for another day. <laughs> that's another topic. <laughs> All right. By the way, again, we're, we're talking with Jim Henneman, who writes for PressBox and PressBoxOnline.com, covers the Orioles and Major League Baseball for us he's an official scorer and he does special publications for the orioles he is probably the preeminent along with bill stetka in this town preeminent orioles history expert uh and he's talking about frank robinson um first of all jim were you at the ballpark on may on memorial stadium on may 8th uh 1966 yes i was yeah. So you saw? Were you in the stands or were you in the press box? No, I was working. You no, I was working. working. I was, I was, I was. I mean, I was like a, a you know, I was like the number at home games in the, in my in you know my news American days. I mean, we always had two guys at the ballpark, you know, at home games. So I was, uh, yeah, and I talked myself into a, you know, if you remember, I, I think the the official unofficial estimate of the distance of that. So that home run off of Louis Louisiana was 451 feet. Right. And I remember going to the office the next day and, talk, and telling John Stedman, there was no way that ball could, I, I can't believe that ball could get out of this ballpark and, you know, on the fly and, and only be 451 feet. So he decided it was a great idea to, to go and, and get the, 
some bring a, a surveying company. We we went out to the ballpark. Sandron was there. Right. Showed them the flight of the ball, where it went out, where it went, where it left the playing field, where it left the stadium, where where it hit. They would did the whole nine yards, <clears throat> and when they came back, their estimate was four hundred and fifty three feet and six inches in that. Wow. So we spent the whole day for two and a half feet. But <laughs> 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 so it, it goes to show you <clears throat> when we try to estimate distances that maybe we should just. Trust the people that are making wild guesses. It's it's amazing how memory works. I remembered that it was the nightcap of a Sunday doubleheader against the Indians, but Jim, both teams at the end of that doubleheader, I mean, we make fun of the fact that the Indians weren't good from fifty-four all the way until Mike Hargrove's teams, you know, in right. the in the in late mid, in the yeah. late nineties or mid nineties, excuse me. You know, the Indians after that doubleheader were 15 and four and so were the Orioles and the yeah. Orioles swept them and right. and Mike T- uh, Louis Tion pitching that game Craig you may not know this I know it now because I just read it he had pitched three complete games in that season 27 innings had not allowed a run had a zero 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 ERA first inning Frank Robinson takes him takes deep him deep yeah and out of the ballpark. That, that was true, and you, well, you forget that. I, I think like the Orioles, the Orioles started like nine and one or something that year. So, right. and, and 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 so basically going into that doubleheader, they were, were probably they were I guess behind Cleveland. Yes, there yeah. were two games behind Cleveland. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Was was would would I be correct? My memory, Mel McGahey, the manager of the Indians back then. You know, I, 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 you know, I'll look I don't it up know. while you guys are I, talking. I don't, I really, I honestly don't remember that. Uh, All right, I vaguely yeah. remember him having one very good year. Heisty, you ask a question. Well, I'm now, J- look that up. J- Jimmy, when you think about Frank, and and this is something I I did happen to see on the rerun when I got home from the Wizards game last night, uh, the Mid Atlantic Sports Report. When you talk about Frank uh, touching all the bases, not just here in Baltimore, but as a player, a manager, a front office guy, a guy who worked for Major League Baseball under the commissioner, uh, and heck, who knows, maybe even came very close to being commissioner. This is a guy that really kind of touched everything in the game and was as respected in the game, but yet as a player, never quite got the due that he was yep. uh, deserved. Yeah, absolutely. And and it, it is kind of, you know, I was looking at some some things about you know he and Hank Aaron went into the Hall of Fame on the same day, and mm-hmm. uh, and 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 I bet I bet the only the only way that Frank came out top on that was was the length of the speech because <laughs> I recall Frank's speech was 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 probably was every bit of forty forty five minutes I think, wow. but he made a remark that then he said he'd been chasing Aaron ever since he broke in and he you know which is kind of the truth I mean you know he. Aaron always had a little bit more, had more of the spotlight than than Frank did pretty much do. And of course, he was behind Willie Mays and behind Jackie. And but you know, when you stop and think about the time that Frank broke in and and the area of time, it was really not that far behind. You know, when Robinson broke the, the barrier, and uh, yeah. so for for a guy to have done what he did, almost in anonymity, to so to speak. Uh, is kind of remarkable, although I know that's a uh, that's really is a stretch. But he probably is, and justifiably, probably the most underrated superstar in the game's history. Hey, Jim, 
1963, the manager of the Cleveland Indians was Bertie Tebbets, who went 79 and 83 in, 80, in, in 63. George Strickland managed, for some reason, 72 games the following season. And then Bertie Tebbets replaced George Strickland and managed through the 66 season. Yeah, okay. uh, so it was yeah. Bertie Tebbets would have been managing the Well, I do remember Bertie Tebbets as, as, as a manager at Cleveland and, yep. and then much later as a scout. Scout for the Orioles, uh, yeah. Yeah, well, and he also he he scouted for a lot of teams. Yes, he did, including you know he he was front, he was event scouting for team. I forget what year it was, but you know Earl Earl loved to listen, be around and listen to his stories. Of buddies that get on a bus and ride. He was <laughs> he was scouting the Orioles for some other team, and he was riding the, the bus riding with the, the bus Orioles. The ballpark. <laughs> Jimmy, those six years that Frank played for the Orioles from '66 to '71. And, and and from the middle of '68 through '71, and then of course he was a bench coach for a while. How much of being around Earl Weaver do you think influenced Frank? As you know, he as you said, he wanted to be a manager. I think a lot. I mean, I and I, I think uh, I think that was one of the reasons. As soon as Earl got the job, that you know he went to the Earl and asked Earl to recommend him for the Puerto Rico job because Earl had been, you know, that's kind of what you know mm-hmm. got. I mean, Earl was managing the minor leagues for yours, but he also had been managing in Puerto Rico for a yep. couple of years. So, yep. uh, you know, that was a, a, a big part of it. I mean, I, and I tell you something. Listen, Frank managed. You know, he managed a lot. I mean, at the end of his career, probably, in all honesty, he probably lasted as long as he did with the Montreal slash Washington organization, as long as he did, because for a long time it was being run by Major League Baseball and. And and they were like, Montreal was getting phased out, and Washington was getting phased in, and the, and the organization was kind of. You know, I, I don't know that anybody else could have kept a job in the, in that situation as long as, as Frank did, but I know this for a fact from the time he managed the Orioles, he didn't just. It, it, this wasn't just a uh, a name a name guy running the team. Frank ran, I thought, really really tough, difficult spring trainings. I, I covered his spring trainings. And it seemed like sometimes the days would never end. And he was he was really kind of a perfectionist, or maybe almost to a fault. And uh, I read a just yesterday I read a great line about the he had a there was a catcher in Cleveland to play for him, and John Gibbons who he was going to suspend for you know for the year because he just didn't like the way he didn't like the way he went about playing the game. And Rico Cardi summed it up by saying he expects us to play the way he did. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's a great but line. Not necessarily, not necessarily with the results that he but, did, but, but play it as hard. Yeah. Yeah. But it, it was yeah. funny. You mentioned about how how maybe not a lot of managers would have survived uh, the two years like they had in Washington. But the, the first year in Washington in 05, you got to remember that team was 51 and 30 in the first half of the season, yeah. and then turned around and had the identical record, only in the opposite, opposite direction the way. second half yeah. of the season, and they finished 500 for the year. Jim, yeah. Jim, we appreciate your coming on and talking about uh, number 20, who they will uh, honor tonight out at the ballpark, uh, 6.15. It starts, so if you are planning to go to the game, please watch it. And if you're not going to the game or you're going out to eat or you're going to the Cystic Fibrosis Gala, you can tape it on Masson. Jim, we really appreciate your coming on and talking about Frank Robinson. Okay, guys, how's it going? All right, thank, thank you. you.